media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Psalms 51. Looking at the, the next three verses this morning. I do want to give a quick word of thanks to those that came out yesterday for our uh, community project. We were working at two uh, of the homes of uh, widows in our community, and uh, it was quite hot yesterday, and yet people kept on working, and working until the job was finished. And what was really cool about that, it's not just the, the, the men and women that came out, uh, but there were several of our boys that came out, families that brought their sons out, and I just thank you for that. Thank you for bringing out your children to be part of a community service, to show them what it means to, to care for, as James says, this is real religion. This is pure religion. When we uh, truly love on those and minister to those that, that really don't have a way of paying back, you know, that's what James meant. And that society, he said, orphans, widows, well, what can they do for you? No, you do this because this is what it really means to love in Christ. And yesterday we saw that demonstration. So I just appreciate you, church. What a couple weeks of missions. And then we leave for a mission trip next Sunday night, early Monday morning. There's a group of us going out to Utah to work with one of our uh, North American Mission Board planted churches out there. We went last year. We're continuing to go out there and and do ministry. Uh, We'll be doing the same vacation Bible school that we did here, out there. And they are, you know, we had 90 plus in, in ours they already have in a very difficult area, uh, I think about 60 now signed up. So it's really quite encouraging uh, to be able to go in the midst of that community and love on them through Jesus Christ. Well, if you have your Bibles open to Psalms 51, starting with verse 7, this morning we're going to uh, focus on a turning point in this kind of development of biblical repentance. And, and have you ever seen those pictures before of soldiers coming home? I mean, you don't have a heart if there's not something within you that just kind of, you know, has a joy when you begin to see some of these pictures of people that were apart for a time and, and then they reunite it, they come back together. And I think the ones that get me are the ones with the kids. So just, you know, seeing a father, seeing a mother who has served and they run with such reckless abandon to be reunited together. And so when we begin to see that, believe it or not, that's not just a a Father's Day plug for the day. It really is the heart of what David is writing about here, guys. That picture right there really does capture what David is writing about in this whole beauty of biblical repentance. Because when we think of repentance, oftentimes we begin to think of the darkness of confessing our sin and, and how we feel troubled and we feel broken over that and that is part of biblical repentance as we've seen in the early verses they just said against you god against you alone have i sinned he's confessing he even used three different words remember to confess his sin because he was just that's dark it's kind of you know it takes you down and yet this morning in verse seven we're going to be able to see where biblical repentance leads to doesn't end in darkness, guys. It really is much like that picture. Because what God does is take two warring parties, us in our sin that have warred against the things of God, and he brings us back through the hope of Jesus Christ. 
God's purpose in repentance is not to leave us in some dark, deep hole of our sin, but to deliver us from the hurt and from the shame and from the guilt of that sin. And ultimately, not to keep us away, but to bring us back. So listen to the words that that David has in verses 7 and 8 of this chapter that we've been going through, Psalms 51. We've been going through all summer long now. And look at verse 7 and 8. David writes, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken rejoice. Now, when we just see that, that may seem pretty archaic. You know, what is hyssop? Why did he mention that? Some of the kind of illustration that he gives, we get, wash me and make me whiter than snow. We can kind of imagine that, because... We've had snow before. And so there's part of this that we're going, okay, is this coded? Is this kind of archaic language? And then there's a part of it that we really do get. This morning, we're going to go through uh, these two or three verses and then really kind of break it down to try to embrace what is it that David is trying to get us to see. Because so far, let's just be real honest, so far in this story of biblical repentance, in this demonstration of biblical repentance, so far it it seems like we're going down into that dark place, the confession of our sin and all those different things. And now we start to make a turn because David begins to realize that this is not the place where God leaves us. We just don't admit our sin and then God confirms that sin and says, okay, yes, and so depart from me. Now we see a turning point here. In his request, he says, purge me with hyssop. To to understand that, we have to go back to Leviticus and some of the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, uh, if you had leprosy, have you heard of leprosy before? It was a disease, sometimes showed itself very much externally. Uh, with different forms. Sometimes it would take your insides, the, the bones, and it would make your, your bones shrivel up. And when you had leprosy, because they really didn't know how to deal with it, and they were afraid that other people would get leprosy, what did they do? They would cast you out. And this casting out, you went to go live with who? Other lepers. If you've ever heard of a leper colony, they had those back in biblical times. And it was for safety. It was because they didn't fully understand. They said, we don't want this to spread. And and, and so they would send these people away from their families. If you were a dad, you were away from your wife. You were away from your children. And because of this leprosy, this disease, you were separated from those that you love so much. Why is that important? Why, Why does he make this reference to purge me with hyssop? Because in Old Testament times... As healing would come, part of this healing process, and it would be considered clean again, you would go to the priest if, if there was this miracle that you would get well and free from your leprosy. They would take a hyssop, which is basically uh, just a plant, and they made it a, a brush, and they would tie, they would get two birds. One would be a sacrificial bird, one they would release. And I, I realize that's a little bit graphic there, but they would take this bird and, and the sacrifice and they would take the blood of that bird and they would sprinkle it on you to, to make you clean. If you go back to Leviticus, you start reading all that. God was very, very explicit about that. Okay, here's what you do. And then the priest would do this. You're clean. 
I declare you to be clean. And guess what happened when you were declared clean? You could leave the leper colony, and guess where you got to go? Home. Back to your family, back to your children, back to your wife, husband. It's pretty dramatic. And, and so when he says, I want you to purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. I, God, I need you to pronounce that I'm clean. Because right now I'm estranged. I'm estranged from you. And my sin has actually estranged me from a lot of different people. David's plea is this old Leviticus picture of a priest coming and sprinkling blood for the forgiveness of a disease, in this case, of sin. And that forgiveness brought reconciliation. That's why David can write, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. How many of you ever rejoiced when you broke a bone? Doesn't seem like a natural thing. What, what does he mean there? I mean, I don't know that many of us, as we've broken bones, we've worked Rejoice. I'm glad about this. No. How many of you have rejoiced when you got the cast off? Whether it was a leg or an arm and you had to have a cast and it repaired that broken bone, and, and now it's restored. And from what I've told, you know, I, I know we have nurses and qualified medical people here, but from what I understand that when a bone is really healed, it's as strong, if not stronger, after the healing process. And so what do you do? You rejoice. That cast is gone. This arm that was broken is now restored and, and, and renewed. That's why he says that he's celebrating there. He says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. This picture of hyssop purging uh, the sins, uh, the reminder that you're made clean, this picture that a broken bone can be made new and restored, all of this begins to show us the joy that he is experiencing here. Now, there's two sides as we begin to look at this reconciliation that happens through repentance. When we begin to experience repentance, the sorrow, and it takes us down, when we begin to come back up and begin to to see that God is bringing things together, namely himself and us as sinners, and he brings us together, he uses this word rejoice, or David does. That, That word rejoice means to dance, to leap for joy. And that's the beauty of biblical repentance. There's two sides of that. One is emotional and one is legal. And David focuses on both of those. We, we see words like rejoice. But he doesn't forget the, the legal aspect that a law was broken and there's a price to be paid. How many of you believe that there should be a price to be paid for a law that is broken? Remember the old phrase, you do the crime, you do the time. We call that, hopefully, justice. That if there truly was a brokenness of the law or a broken law, that there's a penalty that's ascribed to that. And, and so if you do this, here's what you get compensated with. You do the crime, you do the time. And in our minds, especially if that crime is against us, we would see that justice has been done. Well, David is coming before God and David knew that he had sinned. He confessed his sin. And yet there's this part of him 
that in this desire for reconciliation with holy God, he wants the emotional aspect to be taken care of. Will you, will you bring back to me the joy of knowing you? Will you restore the broken relationship that we have, God? But he also realizes that there's a, a legal aspect of this that needs to be dealt with. And David is not forgetting all in this emotion that a law has been broken, a crime has been committed. Here's a truth of life, guys. Biblical truth of life. I truly believe that no true reconciliation can come with just the emotional component. There has to be some kind of this legal component. In other words, people say, well, Bobby, I've always heard that love is blind. Maybe there's an aspect of that, that emotions get really strong. And deep, deep love can have an aspect of that. But my counseling over the last 43 years, I've seen very few times that love was completely blind, folks. There's a hurt that's there. And then a hurt comes along with the emotional kind of separation, but also deep in our hearts, we felt like he has to pay, she has to pay. They have to pay for what they've done. And it's really hard just to emotionally put it aside and say, okay, love covers all. In the aspect of God, it does. Love does. His love is unconditional. All the rest of us, we have conditional love. I promise you, we have some version of conditional love. Somewhere in our mind, we think that there needs to be a kind of a payment for the wrong that has been done against us. That's part of our nature. And so David sees that aspect. And so he comes to this, his God and, and he's very much emotionally asking for this relationship that has been broken because of his sin to be restored. But he's also kind of approaching God from this legal standpoint. And he goes, okay, God, how do I, how does justice get done? Let me ask you a question this morning. Is God a judge or a father? Is he a judge or a father? And I heard the correct answer. Yes. He is judge, guys. He is holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. But he's also described himself. We didn't, we didn't make the claim, you're our father, we want, we, we want to be your children. No, he said, I'm your father. For those that know me, I'm your father. Is he judge? Yes. Is he father? Yes. God's justice does not ignore his fatherhood. And God's fatherhood does not ignore justice. From a human perspective, I was sharing this earlier with some of the elders. Uh, We were just back there talking. I said, can you imagine being a judge and your child? was brought to you. Your, your, your child was brought, an adult child, and accused of murder, and they were guilty of that. And yet they were in your courtroom, and your judge. Oh my goodness, can you imagine? I mean, I can imagine being judge and one of my two girls, and in my heart I know that they're guilty. I mean, how do you do that? How do you bring justice And yet you still, you love this child. Can you see the mix of emotions? Well, on earth, 
Well, he simply, the judge does this. I recuse myself. I'm too emotionally involved, right, Andy? Is that how it would happen? You would simply recuse yourself because you're saying, there's no way that I can rightly deal with all my love and deal with justice. I'm going to be kind of cited one way or the other. Hopefully on that love side, kind of. You know, it's going to be overwhelming. And so we have this earthly way of kind of getting out of being both judge and father at that point. We recuse ourselves. God does not recuse himself when it comes to you and I. He does not ignore justice. He does not ignore love. He deals with both fully and righteously. See, God just doesn't treat our sin as if it was nothing. That would be unjust. Heard the story again yesterday of another case. Have you heard about the, the, the squatting that's going on? People just kind of coming into the homes that are unoccupied and declaring that that's their home. And they were showing on the news yesterday that somebody came in and they kind of claimed that as their home. And even with the court judgment and everything, it's taking like months and months and months for that person to come out. One was a military person, I think in North Carolina. And while they were out serving, somebody came in and I took the house. How many of you see that as unjust, that they just didn't come back and get their house back? That there actually there's people in there that don't belong there that now kind of at least have, by the court saying, the right to be in that house. How many of you see that as somewhat unjust? How many of you would have a problem with that if that happened to you or to one of your loved ones? See, we have this sense of justice within us. Hey, that's wrong. That's not right. There's even a little bit of an anger when we see that kind of injustice. God doesn't ignore justice. He doesn't ignore his love. He deals with both righteously and fully. And the only way that you and I can be reconciled, have this relationship with the Holy God again, is to be made clean from our sins. Remember the leper? Has to go off. Spend time in the leper colony. And only as they are cleaned, and, and that, that sacrificial blood from that bird, and they declare you clean, then you can go home to your family. But here's the real problem, guys. Since God doesn't ignore sin, and has to be dealt with, and yet you and I are an, utterly unable to go make our own sin away. But we, we can't just... Have, have you ever wished that you could reverse time by five minutes, five hours, or five days. I mean, have you? I mean, seriously, even as grown adults, knowing that we can't turn back the hands of time, have you ever deeply, deeply so desired that? Because you messed up. You made the wrong choice. You did something that everybody else, including yourself, said, man, that was stupid. And I don't use that word a lot, but I, I think it fits here. So what was I thinking? Have you ever been through that, oh, I would do anything to go back five minutes, five days, five months, five years? And yet we can't. And most of all, we can say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
And while that may show some of the brokenness that comes, the sorrow over the sin that comes with repentance, we have no power in just saying, I'm sorry, to do justice to that. Does that make sense, guys? That we can deal with it emotionally, and we can plead for forgiveness, and yet we have no power to truly deal with it in a just way. We're powerless. We've committed this crime. We're guilty. The Father is the judge who assigns, who is assigned to the case. And we know that he loves us, but we also know that he's just. What a dilemma. So what do we do? What did David do? Look at verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. If you've been with us in this series, do you remember in verse 1 where he said, blot out my iniquities? He comes back and he visits that again. Makes a second request, will you blot out? Remember we said that blotting out was to uh, like make the crime scene clean as if the crime had never been committed. To go in there and clean it up so much that it is really erased. It's obliterated the sin. There is no remembrance. There's no trace. It is gone. And that was his request in verse 1. He comes now in verse 9. He says, will you hide your face from my sins? Will you blot out all of our uh, my iniquities? And at first it may seem like in that first phrase, will you hide your face from my sins, that he's asking God to ignore his sins. That's not what David is saying there. As much as a father would want to just look the other way, of a sinful child because of his love he wouldn't bring about justice so what is David asking for God is there a way that my sins can be justly gone not just emotionally forgiven but justly gone get this, get this as if I never sinned Isn't that what we wanted when we wanted to reverse time five minutes, five weeks? I I, I wish I had never sinned. I wish I could just go back. It's impossible. You and I can't do that. And yet his request is, will you allow my sins to be gone, but justly gone? Is there a way that God could show amazing love, his fatherly love, And yet, holy justice, there was a way. Paul, the Apostle Paul said it this way in Colossians 2. Follow with me. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Is there emotion in this? Is there justice in this? Is there a legal form that he's uh, addressing here? Yeah, by canceling the record of debt 
that stood against us with its legal demands. What we, you did the crime, you do the time. Paul said, God took care of this. It wasn't just an emotional thing. It wasn't just, ah, oh, God going, well, I love you so much. God says, I love you so much that I sent one to die in your place to meet the legal demands so that you and I could be restored, reconciled, emotionally and legally, lovingly and justly. And he did that through Jesus Christ. See verse 14? What's the second word there? This is the the ESV version. You may have a different... That word canceling. In the Greek, and I know sometimes you'll go, okay, why do we have to bring up the Greek? Because the Greek illustrates things that we don't always see on the surface. And it's a beautiful, beautiful part. That word canceling there, in the Greek, means blot out. Go look it up. Go do some research. The Greek word means... Blot out. What was David's request? Will you blot out my sin? Will you leave no record? Will you, will you make it like I never sinned at all? There's an emotional component here, guys. But look at the legal component. And God took care of everything. I don't know what concept David had of the Christ that was coming, the Messiah that was coming. I think he certainly believed that God was going to be faithful to his promise. I don't know that he knew that it was going to be a man that would live here 30 plus years. His name was Jesus and all the things that he would do. I don't know that David knew every intricate detail. But his plea was, God, will you can, will you make us right? I've sinned against you, God. In a way, I've been, I've been sent off to a leper colony in a way because of my sin. Isn't that what Paul says? And you who are dead in your trespasses? But God, I long for you. And I wish I could go back and, and, and turn back. In David's case, it wouldn't have been five minutes. It wouldn't have been five weeks. Guys, it would have been more than five months. Some say that the time between Psalm 51 and the original sin with Bathsheba and all that was probably a year, maybe even a little bit more. And so his request, God, will you, will you make me why? Will, will you make me right with you? Will you like hiss up in the Old Testament and over the leprosy? Will you sprinkle blood upon me and make me clean so I can come home? This is what God has done through Jesus Christ, guys. But David believed his request out of faith and out of hope that somehow God would send a Messiah, a rescuer. So that it wasn't just going to be an emotional decision where God says and looks at you and I and our sin and goes, well, ah, come on. Is he a father? Is he a judge? 
And I could never imagine being a judge that had to sit there when they would bring in my own child that I knew in my heart was guilty, and yet I had to somehow administrate justice over that. I cannot imagine the heartbreak because the knowledge of that guilt, would that disdain in any way the measure of love that you had for that child? No. If anything, it would increase. And yet you're bound to be just. Let me tell you this, guys. Let me tell you this. God is not bound to be just. He is just. It's just who He is. He's holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. He doesn't say, well, you know, I'm God, and here's the, the rules of being God. You, thou must be just. No, He is just. And as much as on this Father's Day, we would love to just kind of, man, God loves us. He's our Heavenly Father, and He's just this great Father that loves us, and, and love, and, and, and love, and love. He does. Let's not diminish that. But please see the request that David is making here. David is acknowledging in his repentance that there is a need for justice, that God is going to be just. And so he's pleading for this cleaning He's pleading that God would blot out his iniquities as if they had never happened. And the only way that that could ever be done is not by the power of David, not any sense of remorse that he would have, but it would only come through the work of Jesus Christ. We use this verse a lot, not because it's my life verse, my favorite verse, but to me it is the gospel. It is the hope that we have in a sentence. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates what? His love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is justice in there. There is love in there. God is both judge and he is a father. He doesn't pick a side and say, I'm just going to love you. Justice has been done. Because look what it says. But God demonstrates his love for us in that why we were still sinners. He's aware of it. He's sitting there on the judgment seat and going, okay, Bobby, you're guilty. And justice is that you, you would remain separated, dead, enslaved, bound. But I loved you so much that I sent my son, perfect in every way, And he willingly, lovingly, justly paid the price to blot out your sins as though they never happened. This is our God. This is our God. I'm so glad for the loving part. I I relate to that emotional part. But guys, I'm so glad that justice has been done. Because if justice has been done, there's not really a recourse. This whole thing, double jeopardy, I don't know that we can introduce that, Andy, as a theological term, but if justice has been done, decision has been made, then there's no going back. And when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, justice has been done. It wasn't just based on an emotional moment, because here's what happens. Husbands, wives, 
Not that this would ever happen in our homes. But has there ever been, okay, you know, you said you were sorry and, and it was kind of received, but the next day it didn't seem like it was received as much as the day before? Has that ever happened in your home? I'm sorry, babe. That's okay, that's okay. But the next day you thought about it a little bit more. You did the crime. Guess what, buddy? It's time to do the time. I mean, has that ever happened in your relationship? That emotion was one place one day and emotion was another place another day. And yet God doesn't do that. And and one of the reasons that we can get behind that is that God love is now, if you want to say justified, because it's as if we've never sinned. Why? Because we put our faith and trust in what Christ did. Well, Pastor, how many times are you going to keep on saying that? I hope to my dying breath. This is our only hope. Can we show that next picture? How can you not get emotional when you see something like that? But it's not just emotion. It's not just God. Oh, come here, Bobby. Jesus tells a story about a prodigal son. And believe it or not, that wasn't even the the, the truest uh, part of what he was trying to tell. He was actually preaching to uh, and teaching to some of the the religious leaders there. And the focus is much more on the the second brother. But, But we don't ignore what is taught by the first brother, this prodigal that goes off. And he goes off. And the Bible says that he wastes away what his father has given him. In riotous living. And I remember reading that. Not righteous living. I remember reading that in the King James when I was about eight years old. And wondering what that was. Finds himself without anything. Bible is even pretty explicit that here's this Jewish boy had to take a, a job as low as feeding the swine, the pigs. If you read really closely in that parable, it says that even the pods, that is even the slop that he was giving to the pigs, he couldn't have, that he longed even for that. Luke fifteen seventeen, and he came to his senses. He realized his sin. He said, how many of my father's servants have food, more than enough food. And so he begins to go home because he's his heroic guy. No, because he has a father that he knows, even though he's been disobedient, even though he's broken relationship, he knows that his father is, is, is good and loving and, and just. And so he goes back. And in a, uh, probably in a, in a line that he had rehearsed a million times over from this point to the time that he got to his father. Father, I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What happens in that story? The father runs to this prodigal. And he embraces him. You're not a servant, you're my son. 
You were lost and now you're found. You were dead and now you've been made alive. Now, is this just an emotional father that has been missing his son? Yes, there's emotion there. But in the big picture, justice has been done. There's a legal standing by which you and I can approach the throne of, throne of grace because the work has been done by Jesus Christ. That, that's the Father's Day message that I have for you today. We, we can relate to being apart from our family and then being reunited. How many of you, just in a matter of uh, 6 o'clock in the morning, leave from work to 6 o'clock at night, you still live for that moment when you open up your arms and that little boy and that little girl comes running to you? How many of you live for that moment? That's your moment of the whole day. The beauty of biblical repentance is not the deep, deep, deep sorrow. I mean, that's part of it. But it's this change that we're going to see throughout the rest of Psalm 51. Where God says, I don't leave you there, but I bring you back through the hope that you have. Through my provision, Jesus Christ, your son. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are loving, God, that you are emotional. And Father, this love motivates you to care for us and be patient with us, to forgive us. And yet, Father, today, would you help us to grasp that in this whole idea of restoration and reconciliation, Father, that that it comes not just because of emotion, but, Father, that there's a legal part of this. That, Father, you didn't just say... I love you so much, I'm going to ignore your sin. No, Father, you dealt with our sin justly, righteously, in holiness. And Father, we may focus more on the emotion than the the legal, but Father, there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day, Father, that we stand before you in all your holiness. And Father, that legal is going to make a lot of sense. That you have paid the price for justice to be done. And for us to enter into your presence. And for us, Father, to, to, to be able to come like that little boy running across that, that, place to just to hug his dad who's been gone. Father, help us not to ignore the emotion. Help us to make much though, Father, that it's more than just an emotional movement. Father, Justice has been done for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for your gift. Thank you for redeeming us so that full restoration, reconciliation can take place. And until that day, Father, that we know that in the fullness of the reality, Father, standing before you and embracing you in heaven, Father, keep us in the faith that you are holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and yet you love us. We pray this in the hope that is Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.